Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. You know what that means? You are listening to The Mystery of Parenthood. And um, we'll start as we always do before we get into the content uh, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the people said, hey, <laughs> hey uh, I'm just Damn noticing it. I've got a little bit, my my nose is... Quoting some Matt Maurer. Uh, right. right, exactly. Um, so, hey, we were, we were talking about the domestic church last week, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of ended with a quote with regard to the prophetic office that the church holds and that we as domestic churches should um, attempt to be. Now, you know, I think today what we'll do is we're going to start with the prophetic mission, um, but then I think we're going to do priest and prophet, kind of coming from the Lumen Gentium 34 through 36. Yeah. Uh, 35 is where the quote that you read um, is from, and um, and I think that that's a, a good place to start. But simply, you know, priest, prophet, and king. So priest has to do with offering of sacrifices, which if you're a parent, you've got plenty of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, prophet has to do with, with revealing the truth. And then kingship, not from a not from a secular human perspective from a Christian perspective is about serving others that to be a king is to be a servant, not, not to be um, somebody who lords it over them. As Jesus said, you, you won't be like that. You won't be like that. You will not be, you will not lord it over them, but you will serve those. And we just, I don't know if it was in this, in this, but, but obviously the last supper, I know what it was. I was at a wedding this weekend, which, by the way, was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reading was from the Last Supper, um, chapter 13 of John, where he washes the feet of the disciples. Um, and that was exhibiting his his kingship, um, that he was at the service of those he was in charge of, um, so to speak. So anyway, um, maybe we could begin with, uh, with that quote from from um from lumen gentium do you have it or i do i have it right here okay and you know you educated me i quoted from 35 thinking that it was apropos to what we were talking about last time sure and then you you said oh well that's the part of lumen gentium that is the priest prophet and king explanation of the the role of the church or the um the three functions of the church or offices right. of the church and of us each individually and and therefore as a church we're as a domestic church right. we as a whole as our own domestic churches are meant to be priest prophet and king and then we're meant to uh strengthen encourage help those children of the church yeah and ourselves to become Priest, prophet, and king as well. Right. So I, I said, I'm going to go and write that down so I can sound <laughs> a little more intelligent next time when I talk about 
that's part of Lumen Gentium. But yeah, this is a document of the Vatican Council. It's the constitution on on the church, the dogmatic constitution on the church. Uh, and so here is 35 that we quoted last time and that we're going to start talking with today. And that is um, in connection with the prophetic function that is in connection with the prophetic function is that state of life, which is sanctified by a special sacrament, obviously of great importance, namely married and family life for where Christianity pervades the entire mode of family life and gradually transforms it. One will find there both the practice and an excellent school of the lay apostolate in such a home. Husbands and wives find their proper vocation in being the witnesses of the faith and love of Christ to one another and to their children. The Christian family loudly proclaims both the present virtues of the kingdom of God and the hope of a blessed life to come. Thus, by its example and its witness, it accuses the world of sin and enlightens those who seek the truth. Yeah, and and I think I think the things that jumped out. Wow, what a rousing the, call to it is. It's meant, meant it's accusatory, uh, and and as we ended, we were talking about how. Yeah. We have to accuse ourselves based on what is true, good, and beautiful, but then by our actions, not like, hey, bad you, but more by just our witness and our example, we're doing it. And I, I think that speaks to something that, that we all have to really understand. They, they mention, he, he talks about the sacrament, and a sacrament, again, is an outward sign of an invisible reality. Well, in this case, it would be an outward sign of the truth instituted by Christ to communicate grace. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> so one, one of my, one of my, uh, all too often quoted uh, definitions of a sacrament, but, but it, it is meant to do all those things in a sense, um, to communicate by our witness, what is true, what is good and what is beautiful. That that's, that is what the prophetic office is, is it's it's pointing to what is true, good, and beautiful. And what that points even more to is just as with any sacrament, there's matter involved, right? So if the sacrament of the blessed sacrament is the matters, what's bread and wine is actually transformed into, and they use that term there too, right? The transformation of the, of the family as they, Christ permeates the live. I may not be exactly quoting, but from, from what is said. So there's, there's this sense that as humans, we, and as families, we are that matter, right? The bread and wine for that, the water for baptism in a family, in a marriage, the matter is are the people, the couple, the couple, and then the children that come out. And so I think I made mention of the fact that we, we often talk about, okay, we're Christian first Catholic and then, but then we're also Cassians. And so there's a way that we're called to behave. Uh, there are gifts that we've been given that we're meant to go out into this world and just by living our normal life, be witnesses to that. And so it takes a form in a in concrete matter, like it's it's the stuff of everyday life that is meant to be what accuses others and accuses ourselves. Because again, we are meant to take what is true, good, and beautiful and manifest it, make it concrete in our own lives, and we fail. That's sin, right? But we're still meant to strive. To say, okay, what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful, and we and we do that. And for example, I mean, just marriage itself. Today, um, you know, it's always been, and it's always been the thing as as a sign of God's faithfulness, as a sign of God's overflowing of His own love, His self gift to us, that overflows into life. And that connection between love and life, it is meant to. So, I mean, I just went to a wedding and you, and you hear all those things, whether it's um, 
easily understood as being this. It is exactly that. It is this saying, we're going to be faithful to one another till death do us part. We're going to welcome life to one another. Uh, I mean, we're going to be, we'll be fruitful. Um, we're going to give all of ourselves to one another because God doesn't hold anything back in his inner life, in God's inner life. It's the, there, there's a complete self-giving of the Father to the Son that is love, which is the Holy Spirit. And so that's the context or the kind of the, the model that we're meant to manifest. And so in marriage, for example, when we say to be faithful like God, it means that during this lifetime, we're meant to be faithful to one another. And in this day and age where every time you pick up a paper or whatever, especially, and it's almost, you know, put out there in media, that that's just a normal thing for people to get married and divorced and married again and divorced again and married again, that we're, we're met by living our lives in utter full self gift to one another, faithful till death will do, do us part is something that points to it's possible because I think a lot of people think it's not possible or if it, if it is possible, it's, it's rare and maybe it is, but it's not meant to be that way. And that's what the grace of the sacrament of marriage is meant to do. You, you make those promises on the front end, not mm-hmm. really knowing it's not. It, so I, this is kind of a, a diversion a little bit, but I've always heard that, okay, Mary says yes to her, to the plan at the incarnation, right? I mean, at the um, annunciation, she says yes to this, but she really probably had no idea what all that would entail. There would be lots of hiccups, things that didn't go you know, according to plan, even from the birth of the baby. So we say yes, and then we trust that God's going to provide the grace even through the struggles, even through the difficulties. And actually those difficulties are what are going to help us as long as we continue to say yes to God's plan, regardless of financial difficulties, of faithfulness difficulties of whatever it is that we're meant to be that witness. That's how we're meant to do it. And that's just happens in ordinary life, right? I mean, you wake up, you know, Stephanie and I are 34 years married. You know, we've had plenty of problems and plenty of difficulties. And, and what's was always encouraging to me were, were my, my parents were faithful till death did they part. Um, my mother, you know, died 20 years ago, but that was the way it was. And my and my dad always said, and I think I brought this up before, at my wedding, she, he pulled me over right before as people were walking down and said, Trey, we'll walk out this door right now, but the minute you go out there and say, I do, you're in. There's no, <laughs> no, no turning back. Not to be scary, but to say, do you realize that this is what you're committing to today? This is faithfulness for life. And the reality is, is I, I, I didn't have cold feet or anything like that. And I really didn't think twice about it, but the, re, but, but it, but I do think there's a lot of people that enter into it a little uh, concerned, but it was always, I could hear my dad echo <laughs> for years. You're in, you, I mean, there's no, you're, you're not out. So no matter what happens, no matter the difficulties that are encountered, you need to stick with her because that's what you're promising today. And Stephanie did the same thing with me. And there's been plenty of times when it's been rough, but we can all make it through. So it takes concrete. What is concrete? You know, for me, 34, my, my grandparents were married over 50 years. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we all have witnesses in our life of people who have stuck through all the difficulties to stay there to testify to the fact that with the help of God's grace, with the grace of the sacrament of matrimony, with that which strengthens us, improve, you know, up, you know, raises up our nature, which is what we believe as Catholics for grace, that we're able to do something that by ourselves, by just our mere commitment, we would fail at. And so that's why it's so important. I think, I don't know if I was reading John Paul II or if it was from this, but 
I think it was John Paul II and Familiaris Consortio just just earlier is that, you know, this idea of being married in the Lord, that that's what we're meant to be. Well, that's what the sacrament of marriage is. And grace and the provision of God's grace is what allows us to stay faithful, to live according to the tr- according to the truth. So that's yeah. what we're called to do. Yeah. And I think just like you made the point about Mary saying yes, um, when, whenever we enter into marriage, all of us have that same, that same amount of, or a similar kind of trusting, um, yes, that we're, we're taking on. Cause there's no way that you can anticipate everything that is that married and family life is going to, um, entail. And so you, you have to, that's why it's so important to put it in the context of that sacrament so that you have that, the grace to accompany you through all the uh, ups and downs and, and uh, challenges of, of life. hundred percent. I mean, and you know, we, we just, and, and we're all unique and unrepeatable. We all, as a family, not we're individually that way, but as families, we're unique and unrepeatable. So those challenges because there's two unique and unrepeatable pe- persons that have made that commitment to one another is going to look different from place to place. But for us, you know, what I always, from what I always recall is, you know, the triplets when they came, you know, we had six basically under six or at six and under. And so we had lots of diapers. We had lots of sleepless nights. We had all these type of things. And I remember, Somebody asked Stephanie, how do you do it? And I think she expressed what we're talking six about. Under six that is a lot of diapers. No, it's, it's a lot of diapers. Probably a lot of, did you have some? So, concretely. Some, there's some accidents too, probably. Oh, well, I'm of, sure we had plenty of accidents. I mean, I, 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 I don't recall. I'm, I know it was loud, but, you know, how did you make it? And she, she pointing to God's grace, you know, said um, what is true, which is I get up every morning and I pray and I never say amen, meaning that the rest of that day, <laughs> that was her way of saying the rest of that day has got to be grace filled in order for us to get through it. And and we need God's help to get through things that are struggles. They've been a great blessing, would never want to change any of it. I, as I've said before, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to rewind and redo it. I, I know at my age, uh that would be impossible. But at the time Mm -hmm. it was what God put in our lives. It would challenge us, would Mm -hmm. put us in a position that we would often not think is possible. And the fact that we made it through still married, the fact that we made it through with six healthy children, the facts that that we made it through that for the most part they're they've moved on is all a testimony to You got one of them married. Got got one of them married. Yes. Uh, Is a testimony to God's grace allowing that to happen, right? In other words, you know, I think St. Augustine, I think, was the one that part of his conversion was as he looked at, and I'm not calling us that, but he looked at the examples of people out there and like, if okay, if God's grace can make that person a good person, can turn their life around, then certainly I can do it. And, and for years, you know, I was always worried about the people who come over and babysit in the madness of our home after they got old enough, like, oh my gosh, they're never going to have, they're, they're never going to have children because it, because it looks so hard. The reality is every one of those people ended up not only having children very quickly after they got married, but had large families. And my, my thing is, well, if, if God can get those idiots through it, well, at least the half idiot that, that, that I make of it, that he can do anything. Mm-hmm. And so it's always a testimony to God's grace that allows that to happen. Not us individually. All it takes is a yes. Well, yeah. And let's go, let's go up to 35 in Lumen Gentium. And that gets us into the prophet role, but it's right. also a nice segue from, from what we're talking about. It quotes there that, Families conduct, or this is of the laity specifically, the laity conduct themselves as children of the promise and thus strong in faith 
and in hope they make the most of the present and with patience await the glory that is to come. Let them not then hide this hope in the depths of their hearts, but even in the program of their secular life, let them express it by a continual conversion and by wrestling against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And and the reason I wanted to use that quote is is that I don't think there's much more of a wrestling against the world rulers of this darkness and an expression of hope that you can find than a Catholic marriage that is fruitful and an openness to that fruitfulness. Right. And faithful and all the things that that is meant. I think, I think it, it testifies that even the heart, I mean, if I, even as recently as a last week at my, when I said we had triplets and six under six, you know, I had one person say, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I always make sure to tell it. No, great blessing. Was it easy? No. I mean, it wasn't. But a great blessing for us as a married couple, for the for the deepening communion that came from us saying yes to what God had given us and to all the struggles that entailed as a result of that. So whatever it is, I'm not pointing just to us. I'm just using it as an example Whoever's listening out there, no matter the struggle that's in front of you or no matter the struggle that will come ultimately to challenge you, whatever it is, the continued yes to get up and say, I I said yes back on my wedding day on December 17th, 1988 for me. I said yes. Stephanie said yes. And so that yes has to continue through sickness and health <laughs> through wealth and poverty through now Trey you're, are born. you looking for anniversary gifts from people by by putting that out there no, on of the course air? yeah any any suggestions would be great <laughs> <laughs> no I mean are you wanting them to send you no, no, anniversary don't. gifts no, by I, putting I, that out there on could, the air you could send you could send suggestions for Stephanie <laughs> but but it um but I but I, I guess what I'm saying is there is nothing that a married couple unified or in union through the sacrament of marriage, there's nothing that you cannot endure, overcome that comes your way. And that that by itself, because it's, here's reality in doing marriage prep for years and working with Joseph White. One of the things that, that always came up is the very same things that cause people to divorce are the identical things that make stronger weddings. I mean, stronger marriages. The, 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 Some uh, weddings have made people want to uh, divorce. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> the, 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 Before they even got uh, started. <laughs> uh, but, but, but yeah, I think, I think that, I think it's important to know that it's the yes through the struggles that deepens your relationship. It's a yes through the, the, the things that, that may even, in the world's eyes, justify, I'm out. But the continued yes and the trust that God has not, not foreseen what's going on, <laughs> that God has not, um, doesn't know what's happening, and the trust that he's going to, you know, but we've the, always the joke, you know, for years was, you know, one of the bigger arguments we had was probably six months and the, the six kids, six and under <laughs> where Stephanie's like, we can't handle this. And, and I've, I've told this story before, but me being the big picture person and being the, being the theologian said, well, Stephanie, that's, that, that's not true because God doesn't give us anything that we can't are not able with the help of his grace to handle. And, (laughs) you know, and this is where the concrete manifestation of God's grace has is she looked at me and she said, well, well, she got quiet, which always scares me when my Cajun gets quiet. But, but she said, well, then we're not handling it. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where concrete has to meet the belief, right? That's where a living faith is brought forth in the trust that God foresaw this, he knew this was going to happen. It may have happened 
for other reasons. I mean, I did financial things that I didn't consult with her, which were big mistakes as well that caused rifts with us, um, that she stuck through it. And she still said yes, even though sometimes the answer, the, the easy answer for a lot of us is to just say, well, this is just, it's too hard. And again, looking at the crucified Christ, looking at the fact that he's present in and through our marriage, we're a sacrament that's meant to, to we're, we're meant to um, manifest in, in our own particular way, the union between Christ and his church, right? We're meant to do that. Then, then, then our yes makes itself evident through the yes and through the difficulties that we have point you know how do you make it how did you make it through that well we prayed but most of all we trusted that god knew what was going to be coming our way and so the finances that struggled the lack of sleep that happened you know all the things that happened with having six that close together is just our particular humble because we couldn't make it (laughs) There's no way that we could make it. Anybody that knows me knows what the heck was God thinking <laughs> to give six to us. So whatever the difficulty you have, whatever whatever your limitations, whatever you see as I, I can't handle this or I don't know, know that all you have to do is say, yes, I can handle it by the help of God's grace and then stick with it. That's, I think, part of the way that we attempt to be prophetic in saying we're going to make it because God has ordained that we make it. We promise through the help of his sacrament to make it and his grace is what's going to be manifested by our being able to make it through. Like I said, all those people that I thought we'd scare away from having kids, like I said, I think similar to St. Augustine, well, if God can do that with those people, (laughs) then, then he can do anything. Mm-hmm. It's how that's that's a testimony to his grace, not to us. And so and that's where we should all look look at it. Um what what does that I mean, how did you know you go to work, you go do what you gotta do as a as a dad, but then you you make every effort to be at practices or be around, visible, to be supportive to challenge your children at times, right? I mean, what, what does the church do? It puts the truth. It, it calls our children. And there was a line in this, in this, it was, I don't know if we read it, but, um, no, this is the article, the article and, um, is, is little. And when you, when you read it again, um, this is from the article that we were going for. It says the phrase domestic church or its equivalent was used by many church fathers, especially St. Augustine of Hippo, And he preached that fathers of families, like bishops and clergy, have an ecclesial role being responsible for the care of the souls under them. That should... Absolutely, yes. But that should... should, There should be a little bit of fear, but then a trust. If God has put those children into your life... And we know that he said you as a father in charge of those of the care of those souls, then just go and do your best at doing it. You're going to fall short, but don't say, well, I'm not capable. I'm having a hard time with my own soul, you know, or whatever. Just go and say, God gave me these children. I am their father and therefore I need to, to go and do my best with all my insecurities, with all my um, lack of skill, lack of words to go and say, I'm in charge of, I'm in, I mean, I'm in charge the of most important job we have in caring for the souls under us, our children and, and our spouse is to get them to heaven. Right. Right. Our, their salvation is the most important thing that we can do and that we should focus on everything else that we do as parents and espouses should come under the heading of helping them get to heaven. And your spouse is supposed to be helping you 
get to heaven, just as you're supposed to be helping them get right. to heaven. And it's, I think it's real easy to get caught up in the in the day to day, and that's why the church is so like it happens in the day to day. Right. It, you know, it's it's not like it's all always got to be. You have to have like the eyes of faith to say this is where we're headed. But how does that that happens at dinner time? That happens at bedtime. That happens at going to practice. How do you handle a kid who fails at some at something? How do you handle a kid? who's had some success to keep them humble, to recognize that what they have. I mean, those are all the places and the things that this idea of getting to heaven happens. It happens in our day-to-day lives, not in moments that, okay, now this is about about your uh, salvation, all of that. And to try to communicate in our own lives, in our own example, that first off, we're sinners and in need of a savior that we are sinners and in need of forgiveness and that we make mistakes and that we are not, that our children see that when we mishandle a situation that we're expressing our humanity by saying our, our fallen human nature in saying, please forgive me. I did not handle that well. And then calling them to the same thing when when they fall short. So it's not about being perfect because we're not going to be perfect. It is about striving for perfection. But in the midst of doing that, because of lots of different reasons, our own cowardice, our own fears, our own things that get in the way, we're going to fail. And we have to communicate that too. Because I just this is, again, a little bit of an aside, but I remember the first time that one of my children said something to me like, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> you know, I won't say what I said, but I can't believe you said that. And the minute he said it, I was convicted, but, 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 but I had to go back and I said, I am, I am human too. It's not an excuse, not an excuse. I shouldn't have said what I said. I was wrong to say what I said. You were right to call me out on it. And I appreciate that, but do not think that I'm in any way, shape or form perfect. (laughs) I'm a human like you are. And I think it's important for our kids to know that, to not think that dad's all that, right? I mean, to even point to ourselves and say, yeah, I failed at that and I, I shouldn't have, and I know better. And or to think that dad and mom are all that, but not because they're impeccable, not because they're, they're right. Perfect and I don't mean, I, yeah, that doesn't exactly that doesn't that doesn't mean it's the same thing with the church, right? Just because there are people in roles of authority within the church that fall short, maybe tremendously short, maybe horrifically short sin, like more, that their posi- that their, posi- sin. their position, the position that they hold is to be held in esteem, right? Right. There's a difference between the person and the position. There's a person fulfilling that role. And so I think that's a good thing to teach as well, is, you know, there are certain things that we honor the position, even if we don't particularly like or think much of, and maybe rightly so, of the person in that. And so we are all that because you're because I'm your dad and she's your mother and there's a way that you talk to us there's a way that you deal with us and there's a way that you receive from us what we're trying to do however we as individuals fall short but that does not diminish the importance of our authority right right well it's it's also easy for the child to fail to see that the parents are doing a lot more for them and like going the extra mile for them than they would for any other person of their, of their age and station. Right. Right. We're, we're constantly, constantly going the extra mile for our children in terms of right. what, What we invest in them in, in time, resources, love, affection, wisdom, knowledge. And that, in that, um, I think that's important to make sure that they understand that. I mean, you don't have to always point back to it, but I, I always say, ask the question. I mean, you ask the kid the question, 
why do you think we're doing what we're doing? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and we need to ask that question because it is possible that we're not doing it for the right motives. But that leads us into the last one, the kingship, right? I think that's a, a good transition. Do we cover the priest? We well, haven't covered priest. We'll come back to okay, priest. Okay, so we're going to move to the king We'll now. move to the king now because, because that's kind of where the it went. Kingship from a Christian perspective, as I mentioned earlier, is to be at the service of the other. In other words, to basically use my authority, my wisdom, my everything to help direct our children, our, our sons and our daughters towards the good, the true, and the beautiful, right? And that takes, that takes the form of teaching. It takes the form of encouragement through struggles. It takes the form of discipline when, when necessary. And discipline, again, is one of those places you've got to ask yourself, because I have failed at this plenty of times. What is the purpose of my discipline? And we've always said that one of the, one of the main purposes is to get to the heart of the child, right? So discipline is not just to get the outward conformity to what we want. It's to, it's to serve them by calling them to a standard, by teaching them that standard, and when they fall short, to do whatever in terms of discipline to be able to help them redirect but with the intention of not getting outward conformity alone, but to get to their heart. And so we have, we have to manage how do we get to their heart First off, you know, for some kids, it's just, you know, I'm really disappointed. I know you know better than that, right? You know, there's nothing wrong with a little, you know, Catholic guilt once in a while. Like you've, I'm really Absolutely. disappointed, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I may be mad. I might be a little angry, but more than anything, I know you know better. And yet you chose to do something that really kind of breaks my heart. That can be a way. That, that, that may be a way to, to do it. Not, don't use that as the only way. But also you can talk them through decisions they make with regard to you're meant to be a witness to this world of what we as Cashin stand for and that, and, and you failed, just as I have. So it's never like all on you. I failed too. But, but why would that be something that we would say would not be an appropriate action with regard to how you were raised. And when they get older, we've had this conversation with several of our children. Look, y'all are, you've left, you're on your own. We feel relatively good that you know the difference between right and wrong. You know what you ought to do and what you shouldn't do. And hopefully you know why you ought to do it or why you ought not to do it. But you're a grown person at this point. So your soul, we're still here to help and direct, but at 20, whatever, 25, 28, whatever your, whatever the age is, we're not in charge. You're in charge of, <laughs> of your soul at of this your point, fate. of yeah. your fate at this point. Okay. And so we still, as parents will direct, encourage, give options, whatever that is. You probably ought to go to confession or whatever, but the difference between that age of person, number one, they're usually probably not in your home, <laughs> but they're also out of your authority, so to speak. They should still treat you with, with that level of um, dignity, and respect. dignity and respect, but ultimately it falls on them. And at some point that's what we have to do with the children and say, look, We've raised you, and and while we've maybe not have done everything that we think we ought to have, we have done enough that we think we you know not only how to judge an action that you've done, but also how to respond appropriately when you've fallen short. And at that point, you know, at a if it was a ten year old, I'd say, okay, we're I'm going to schedule this. We're going to go to confession. You and I are both going to go to confession you know, next Monday or whatever, it would be different for an older child. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, the, you still at that age say, why do you think I'm taking time to talk to you? 
<laughs> I'm talking to you because I care about you and your salvation. Mm-hmm. And please consider what we're offering to you as the way you ought to handle this. But we can't make them, right? At some point, they become their own um, captain, so to speak. Hopefully, Jesus is the one that they're following. But anyway, I, I, I just think the kingship that the church is meant to to uh, portray in us as this domestic church is that all the time we exercise our authority, we need to point to the fact over and over again, this is for your good, not not because... I care about what people think about our family outside of this, not because of I want you to be quiet so I can watch my football game, not because of anything like that, but because it's for your good that that I'm directing you to do this or not do that. And that throughout time, even when they're younger, to to tell them this is why. And you can talk in a matter of non-conflict to talk through something as saying that's, that's, that's really, this is why, because I think, again, it's not just getting the outward. You have got to do something to get to where they can think through so that one day you can share, they share in your mind. That's what the church is trying to do, right? The church is saying, we're going to put this stuff out. We want you to share in the mind of be Christ, of one mind, yeah. right? You to be of one mind. So the, how do you do that? The church offers us explanation after explanation as to why it teaches on things, even controversial things, things that are not. Well, we as parents need to make the effort to try to explain through why we think this is important so that they can make it their own, because that's what you want going out, that they share at least to the extent that we're in line with what is true, good, and beautiful, that they have a way of of um, sifting through what they're going through to do that. That's what the role of kingship in the church and the role of kingship as a parent is meant to be. And that's what the domestic church is meant to do, is to share the light of Christ, to share the wisdom that comes from his church, but also to explain why. We don't just go to church because we have to. Well, do we have to? Yes, we're obligated to go to church every Sunday. But that's not the best explanation. I mean, that's not that's not the why. I mean, it could be a why, but we can't parent like that. We can't parent like it's a why because I told you to. It's it's the why has to be there is where Jesus is. There is, and even the language that we use with the younger kids, I think is important. I used to never say, I wouldn't allow them to say, why do we have to go to church? It was, it was always, we get to go to church. We get to go be with him. The one that created you, the one that died on the cross for you. We get to be with all those people who've gone before us with my mother, with, I mean, we get to be at the foot of the cross with Mary and all the saints. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want to go? We get to take all the stuff that we've struggled with over the last week and place it on the patent, and then God can use all that stuff that we've struggled with, the, the, the failures, the disappointments, all that. We bring and place that on the patent and offer it to God the Father in union with the pain and suffering and all that Christ went through, his death on the cross. That's why we go. And so that's what I mean by saying we we want and we can say every once in a while because I said so, because sometimes you don't have time to explain. But whenever you say because I said so, that's a that's a that's a trigger that should say, well, why why is this obligatory? I mean, really, why is it obligatory? And then begin to explain that to your children. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we've gone through profit. We've gone through kingship as being at the service of another. And then the the last one is to be a priest. And there was a line, and if I can find it in 34, um, that is one of my favorites. Uh, man, you know what? My, my eyes are so bad. Um, there's 34. Here it is. So let me just read. This I'll is 34 read this. in Lumen Gentium. This is 34 Lumen Gentium. And if you haven't had a chance to read, or if, I know Thaddeus has a, has is is walking through with people. 
Yeah, we have some, too. I have some classes important. going on right now in the Bryan College Station and Waco area. They're so, studying it's the documents. So, it's so and we'll have more beautiful in the future. to read so you can actually hear what the church is saying. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing, but the last sentence is the one that is lengthy. But um, uh, this is for besides intimately linking them, the laity, parents, to his life and his mission, he also gives them a sharing in his priestly function of offering spiritual worship for the glory of God and the salvation of men. For this reason, the laity, parents, children, everybody dedicated to Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit are marvelously called and wonderfully prepared. So again, that's there's that idea of we have to receive the call. I have these children. They happen to be triplets. They're all six. I've received the call, but then they're wonderfully prepared, meaning that God, what he's given you is not something that you can't handle. With his grace, the grace of the sacrament, you can. So I'm marvelously called, wonderfully prepared, so that evermore abundant of fruits of the Spirit may be produced in them. And here's the line that I think is so important. So for all their works, prayers and apostolic endeavors, their ordinary and married life, their daily occupations, their physical and mental relaxation, so even the relaxation, if carried out... um, if carried out in the spirit and even the hardships of life, if patiently born, all of these become spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ, together with the offering of the Lord's body, which links again, which we're talking about. All those things are meant to be linked with the Lord's body. Where, where is the Lord's body made present in the mass? That's why we go to the mass. We're offering all these things. They are most fittingly offered in the celebration of the Eucharist. Thus, as those everywhere who adore in holy activity, the laity, the laity consecrate the world itself to God. That's what it means to be Christian. Mm-hmm. That, that all the stuff that we think doesn't matter, the, the, the making of dinner, the correcting of children, the bringing them to practice, the going on vacation together, spending that time together, the struggles of a you know, of, of a death of a grandparent or whatever it is, the death of a friend, of an aunt or an uncle, all of those things, what we do day to day in the ordinariness of day to day, that go to get up and go to work every day, all of those things are meant to be spiritual sacrifices offered as a part of the priestly function that Christ has shared with us. And we have to, got to share that with our children in that. And I've used before the example, which I think is really important, and, he, and you may not be able to do this, but but when, when well, a couple things. One, with the permission of, of the priests when they were younger, we would have them write out things to put in the basket. Now, again, with the... <laughs> with the permission of the priest, we had asked, is it okay if we have them do this? And so we, we, before they went, this idea of writing down their offering, what did they struggle with? What were they thankful for? All those different things were something that they were meant to put in the, in the basket, so to speak, to be brought up to the altar so that when the, when the bread becomes Jesus and the, and the wine becomes Jesus' body, blood, all of that stuff that we've done is united with him and then offered through him, with him, and in him to God the Father. And therefore, it's acceptable because it's now united with the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Mm-hmm. That's, what it, that's what it means. So there's nothing that we do day to day from the absolute mundane of everyday life, making a bed, mowing the yard, <laughs> going to work and doing what you do at work, Going on vacation, dealing with all those with difficulties or losses in life, not making a team that they wanted to make, all of those things are meant to be united with the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross, right? It's meant to be something of value to the extent that it's offered together with Christ to God the Father. That's why we go to Mass, and also, since Christ died on the cross to redeem us from our sins, to to forgive us of our sins and make um, make amends for our sins, 
can't we and shouldn't we be putting our sins on the altar too? Well, saying, yeah, with that, I've, that's one person said, and I, I don't know, I haven't checked this, but it's true. Is you know, honestly, our sins, which is the one time that we break away from what God has called us to do, right? If we do something well, it's because of God's grace. If we do something well, we've cooperated with Him. Right. If we fail, we've rejected God's grace as some way, shape, or form. Right. We've chosen our own. So I've heard somebody say, well, it's the only thing that we can give that's actually our own. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. So we're meant to bring our entire selves, the good, the bad, the ugly, and present all of us. Because ultimately, those are just signs. The, the money you put in the basket or that you Venmo or whatever in these days, all those things are meant to be representative of, of, of our entire selves of our our bodies, our souls, the entirety of our person is meant to be offered at the Eucharistic sacrifice. All that we think, all that we say, all that we do, the good, the bad, and the ugly should all be placed on that patent, so to speak, when the offering goes up there. So that when it, that's part of being a full, conscious, and active participant in Mass is to say, I'm coming here to offer myself entirely to God the Father in union with the one sacrifice that we know God has accepted for our salvation, Christ's passion, death, and resurrection, which is made present, present, really present, (laughs) not just symbolically, but efficaciously, right there, is made present in the Mass. That's what it means to be a priest, is that we're bringing all that we think, say, and do, the good, the bad, the ugly, to that sacrifice. And then God can do wondrous things with it, things beyond our capacity to understand or even realize. So we don't hold back the bad stuff. We give everything. So anyway, just remember as a, as a, as a parent— and as a domestic church that we're called to be priest, prophet, and king. And hopefully we've gone through and given you some examples. Always, as we always say, um, only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. He will, I promise. God bless. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye. From the cold-